Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly, the podcast for the second time this week. <laughs> Who'd have thought they'd see this day? Uh, my name is Chris, I'm your host, of course, and I'm joined by Jeremy Smith. Jess, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, thanks. Good, good. You're worried about nothing, my friend. It was all fine. It was all fine. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, um, we are, of course, here to uh, talk about the France-Australia game, which happened last night at the time of recording. And uh, let's break it down. So um, a 4-1 victory for the French, which is obviously delightful, Jess. Um, do we want to, uh, how we sort of break this one down? I want to talk about the performance mainly, but just a word on on the sort of lineup and, and how they were set up in the end. Any major surprises for you? It's kind of predicted what the lineup would be and it was what it was for at least 15, 20 minutes until the injury anyway. Yeah, I mean, even even then the the... the... Formation, I don't think changed too much. So yeah, I think it was pretty much what we expected. It's what had been leaked or predicted for quite a while beforehand. And um, as I think we alluded to the other day, what what might be interesting is to see whether Deschamps sticks with the the same formation um, for the Denmark match. I think Denmark are a different prospect to Australia, but also sort of defensively solid. Um, you know, with, with all due respect, I think they've got more going forward than Australia, but they are a very well organized um, side, as are Tunisia. So, um, all three teams, I think, would be difficult to break down, and possibly, um, you know, having those sort of four very attacking elements could be useful for all of them. But then I think we also need to be aware that, in theory, Denmark are pose more of a threat going forward. And so maybe there needs to be a little bit more of a balance there. So I still wonder whether maybe there'd be a formation change and, and Dembele may drop out. Um, but knowing Deschamps, I think he'll stick with a winning formula. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And we will touch on the other result in the group um, in a second as well. But um, once the game sort of got underway, I, I've done about you. I, I felt like France started quite well for the first sort of couple of minutes. And then it just sort of hit a bit of a lull. And Australia seemed to, they just seemed to find a sort of comfort, I guess. They, they composed themselves and then took the lead. I think, you know, all due respect is, is a good finish, but the defending was was really poor in this goal. What, I don't really know what Benjamin Pavard was, was doing or where he was going, but it wasn't in the right place. Arguably the move should have been stopped far earlier than before the ball got to the back post and, forward put it in but um yeah that that was questionable defending what, what do you think he was trying to do there because he seemed to run away from the player who was coming in to, to finish I'm hoping that all it is is that for Bayern he generally plays as a centre back and it's yeah, just going to take him a, a a match or two hopefully not two to remember that for France he plays mainly as a full back and just to kind of you know, recalibrate his bearings or something like that. Um, you know, the, he definitely sort of, he seemed to instinctively move into the middle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think and hope that's all it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and fair, fair play, Craig Goodwin's a good finish. I don't I don't think he's even a regular for Australia. So he, he was sort of a late selection. And um, well, it, was a, it was a lovely move. I mean, even mm. Suter's, pass out wide talked about missing Pogba's diagonal balls being pinged around that was 
Pogba-esque. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Especially for a guy who's what, six foot six, that chap, isn't he, at the back? He was a big old unit. Fortunately for France, it, it didn't take too long. I mean, just sort of, well, I suppose it was a good 20 minutes later. But of, of all first goal scorers in this World Cup, I don't think many would have had too much money on, on Adrian Rabiot. But he popped up at the back stick to, uh, well, that's sort of more from a central area, really, but crossed in from the left-hand side and uh, he was stooping to convert to equalise. Again, good move. Uh, lovely cross from Teo Hernandez, who had come on to replace his brother, who we've since learned has done his ACL and is now out of the tournament. That's a, a bitter blow. That that injury seemed to occur in the build-up to Australia's goal. Nobody's fault. It just seemed to fall awkwardly. But, um, yeah, his brother coming on, Really good cross, good delivery, good header. Is is it arguable to say that um, it's awful to say, but could this be a blessing in disguise? Having a what is what what is a natural left back and an, an offensive left back in Teo Hernandez because he was really good once he got into a stride, wasn't he? When he came in and, and that cross provided for that equalising goal. I think in a way it probably was for yesterday's match. Mm. kind of long-term for the rest of the World Cup, I'm not sure. I think you know what you get with both of them. Like Lucas is a little bit more defensively minded, but obviously can do his bit going forward. Um, they set up uh, Pava's brilliant goal against Argentina, also Mbappe's goal in the final. So, you know, he can certainly do his bit. Teo is definitely more attacking minded and, and probably leaves a lot more to be desired defensively so um i think probably that was what france needed yesterday to sort of wake them up and i think we saw that everything good that came offensively from from france generally came from from the left side mm. um and I don't, I don't think it's coincidence that he was sort of heavily involved um but yeah long term there is you know the, the concerns are that France's defence does not seem as mean as it was four years ago and also just extremely thin now like Teo is now the only left side, left-footed defender in the squad and the only well obviously I suppose specialist left back in the squad um you know the, the experience of 2021 strangely it's something that, that Deschamps doesn't seem to have learned from where I think Again, Lucas didn't last long before getting injured. It was replaced by Dean, who got injured almost immediately and sort of finished the tournament with having to play three at the back with Rabio as some kind of improvised wing-back, which didn't really work out brilliantly. Um, apparently, the France are at the moment, like the, the sort of unused subs are uh, playing a, a sort of exhibition match and Kamavinga is playing at, at left-back, which kind of tells you about how thin we are there at the moment. So, blessing in disguise for yesterday, not the end of the world going forward as long as Teo stays fit and mm. brings what he brings and has been bringing for, for Milan as well. But if anything were to happen to him, then... I think we're we're in serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. I guess Ferran's return would would sort of stiffen up that defense, hopefully, which we may touch on the centre half pairing. In it would, but that's still there. yeah. I think we should do, but that's still sort of very much either right sided or centre back. It it doesn't at all solve the the left no. problem. I was more thinking in terms of like a sort of a um. Uh, an organisational presence. So like when Teo does go walk about, Ferran's the sort of person who will say, hang on a minute, 
actually come back in, if you know what I mean. I don't know how, I know he's not the most vocal captain, but he leads by example, doesn't he? But yeah, it's, it's we'll definitely touch on those two and a half in a minute because that worries me. But um, also France, on tail, like, I think just from a sort of human, if that's the right word, perspective, yeah, I mean, that must have been extremely difficult for him. Oh, God, yeah. You know, he had that terrible sort of wayward pass that uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, Duke, was it? Um, yeah, Matthew Duke, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sort of just missed from from outside the area that would have, would have put them 2-0 up. Um, you know, I think you can definitely get, forgive Taylor for sort of maybe having half a mind on his brother and the, just the bizarre circumstances in which he's, he had to replace him. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty heartbreaking. The post that went up late last night when it was confirmed the injury was pretty sad to see. But one thing that, that did put smiles back on the face was the fact that France very quickly established the lead in this game after the equaliser, which, again, you know, fair play, I thought Ravier said it was very good. And it was he that set up the equaliser for Olivier Giroud, who uh, took his tally at that point to one behind Thierry Henry. More on that in a second, obviously. But it, it was a move that was kind of crafted by Mbappe, wasn't it, that? that brilliance of just being able to run in behind. No. No, I I mean, I guess we're going to sort of work our way forward through the team and and talk about Mbappe and Dembele. I think some of the fuss has been slightly overboard. And to me, yeah, it was a lovely little sort of, unless you're thinking of the final goal, I think it was a lovely little, little flick back heel from him but that goal was all about Rabio, not not yeah it, it was yeah it was the flick I was referring to but it, it was more like that it, it sort of like that flick enabled Rabio to run in is it's sort of it was a vision that I quite liked about it the fact that he put himself in that position to flick because I don't know about you one of the criticisms I do I do have of Mbappe it's a little bit is that He's he's almost too good sometimes in an in a sort of an arrogant way, if you know what I mean. I know you share my thoughts on how he could just do things a lot simpler. And and I felt like some of the flicks he tried last night were a little bit of the PSG Mbappe where he just didn't need to do them. Yeah, I this... thought they were far too much. I mean, I to be completely honest, I think both Griezmann and Giroud are better flickers. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Mbappe is a better back healer. But mm. they're better flickers. But he did too many of them yesterday. And of course, yeah, when they come off, they look fantastic. But I think, yeah, I think Rabio won the ball back with a high press, mm. carried on running to receive the, the flick, and then very unselfishly gave Giroud the, the tap in. So it was a lovely flick. But to sort of give all the credit on that goal to Mbappe I think is is more than harsh or more than yeah. generous for him more than generous yeah <laughs> yeah fair, fair dues um the that was the score at half time and I think I think at 2-1 at, at half time I was <clears throat> I wasn't like overconfident but I felt like the initiative had been wrestled it felt like you could see Australia as they left the pitch at half time they looked pretty knackered to be fair and and you could sort of see that some gaps were going to open up and it's just whether France could take advantage because they did miss a couple of chances to make it through before the break. But then, Well, the... let's say it, Mbappe missed an absolute sitter. Oh, yeah, that one at the back stick where he bloomed it over the bar. That was, yeah, that was... And just um... after that, Australia hit the post, so... Yeah, that that's, that, that is a good point. And, that, and I felt like he should have scored that as well. I thought that was a, a pretty bad miss from the Australian. I thought that was a... I know it was, he's probably stretching, but I felt like he probably should have taken that, so... It could have been very different, but then two quick goals in the second half really killed the tie. The The third goal was from Mbappe himself with a header. 
Um, good work from Dembele. I tend to agree with you in that I did feel um, our favourite commentator was waxing lyrical about how amazing he was on the night. I, I didn't feel I'm like gonna, he I'm was I'm going to be honest with you. I lasted six minutes before I swapped <laughs> to a French feed because it was six minutes, first of all, of him talking incessantly. You know, he, he the first thing he said was, I've been at every World Cup since 1990. That's mm. 32 years and you still haven't learned that a commentator doesn't need to fill in every fucking second with talking. The next thing he said was that, it's good for France that Pogba's not there because he's got a massive ego, ego yeah. ignoring how important he was to team spirit four years ago. Yeah. Um, and then there was one more thing. I can't remember what it was, but that was whatever it he, was. was the final straw. <laughs> he didn't get the, he didn't get the, uh, the line about the food being good in Leon, which was a small, small plus on the night. But other than that, I think he got, I think he ticked all the other boxes. Um, I'm pretty sure we got some Premier League in there several times as well, but um, he was waxing lyrical about Dembele. As I say, I, I felt like going forward, you know, he's always a threat. His tracking back is, is basically non-existent, which both you and I have, covered many times the, the one thing he did he does provide is that ability to beat a man and and provide a good cross and it was just that and Mbappe albeit not <clears throat> particularly well marked good header to make it three and, and I felt like that was the clinching goal wasn't it It was just that that sort of um ability for for France to get in behind and, and take that chance and once that went in that was that and it it was reward for Mbappe who he would have, I think, for, for France's benefit, it's good that he got on the score sheet, if you know what I mean. If he'd have come off with the, that that really bad miss, for example, I wonder where his confidence might be. Probably still yeah. sky high, but, you know. I think you could see it. that. Um, I mean, actually, he did sort of smile after, yeah. after that miss. Um, and then there was, there was the even worse one later on, the absolute beauty of a pass from Griezmann mm. that, that he miscontrolled. But I think... When he scored that goal, I think you could see the relief. Um, That's what it was, really. I thought it was his. For me, his performance was relatively similar to to the Euros, in that I felt like he was almost trying to do too much. I mean, he was not. I'm not saying he was being selfish. He wasn't at all. But I felt like every time he got the ball, he felt he had to do something special. He seemed mm. to be taking most of the free kicks and a lot of the corners, which to me is ridiculous. Um, partly because I think he should be in goal scoring positions and partly because he's not very good at taking good free enough. kicks and corners. Um, and I think, remember in the Euros, as we said the other day, he was involved in most goals, but didn't actually score any and, of course, missed the penalty. So I think scoring that goal, I think you could tell by his reaction. I think it was a, it was a big sort of weight lifted off his shoulders. Mm. Um, generally, him and Dembele, I thought, it's Mbappe. Every time he gets the ball, there's a sort of frisson around the ground and, and you know that there's a good chance something will happen. And I think there was a lot more good than bad definitely Dembele I still think I mean I'm surprised that so many people have been raving about him I get what he gives you I get that you don't know what way he's going to go you don't know what's going to happen and that like that cross you know there's a good chance that at least once a match he'll do something special but how many 
walls does he blind alleys does he run into before that happens i mean you said beat he beats a man i'm not sure he did beat that many men yesterday and and i still find him very frustrating and concerning that on both flanks we've got people who aren't that interested in defending um Mm. which again puts a lot of onus on on griezmann particularly to cover all of the right um you know, Chouameni is probably going to be a little bit overworked. Rabio maybe wouldn't push forward as much as he'd like to. So uh, that's where I still think that there's a couple of concerns. But generally, I think Mbappe, as I said, I don't, I don't think he was at his most clinical. Yeah, he finished the match with a goal and assist and a sort of pre-assist. So you can't really complain with that. No, uh, no. Then Bele, I thought people overdid the fuss. Yeah, yeah, I, I do tend to agree. I, I may be slightly less harsh in that I feel like his going forward, I, you know, I'm, I'm an admirer of what he does. And I, I do like his ability um, that he, he does for Barcelona quite a lot and, and did at Dortmund. That that sort of taking the ball down in, in stride, running at somebody and cutting inside. But I also appreciate that, like you said, for all the times he does you know, for all the times that comes off, he will he will lose the ball six times as well. So it's I guess I, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe Dembele is French for Walcott. I just... <laughs> That's what he reminds you of sometimes, yeah. You know, I blocked Ball some... Pace, no brain. Some dick who, like, as soon as he put that cross in for Mbappe, retweeted something I'd put about him, about Dembele, and saying, Jeremy with his usual eye for football. I blocked the guy because I can't be asked for that. But I, I think it's a perfectly fair point. And just because one cross comes off... Look, it's uh, it's not basketball one cross that comes off can win you a match great but I find it very frustrating how much wastage there is before that cross comes off it's just mm. my personal feeling yeah yeah and, and there's then there still has to be end product more times than not if you are a forward player because that is what you're in the team to do so and if you're not defending particularly uh well or if you're not putting in a shift going the other way then you I'm sure better make make sure that you're attacking service is, is on the money nine nine times out of ten so yeah i think i think it's fair to be critical um but where we won't be critical is is of olivier Giroud, who got the fourth goal he's now equal uh french all-time top goal scorer 50 goals up um so 50 sorry 50 and 51 um i mean that that achievement in itself that number of goals is incredible but he's just I think I tweeted at the time the word I one of the words I used was evergreen. He's just he's just inevitable, isn't he? Like he, for a guy who of his age to have let's not forget to have broke through at quite you know he, he wasn't a young guy was he when he when he broke through to to leave uh, th- was it the third tier to join Montpellier? Um, he just keeps on ticking, and the great thing is he never had pace, so we don't have to worry about him losing that. I just he, and there's something about the way he plays football that's very infectious and it, it's hard to just not love the guy. And Rich will reward these two goals and and you know one away from the record. I wouldn't be surprised if he claims that record in this World Cup. And again, you know, wasn't the most glamorous of finishes, but right place, right time to convert Mbappe's cross to make it four one. Yeah, I, th- I think that. Um, uh... I don't know when this podcast started, but certainly I started doing it sort of around the time, the season that Montpellier won the league. And so I feel like the podcast has kind of grown up with Giroud and he's always <laughs> been uh, a favourite of the pod. So, you know, you're not going to get any criticism here. But I just, I think he's, 
exemplary the way he's conducted himself during his career and obviously on the pitch as well and you know he's basic his whole France career as you said first of all he's sort of a late developer and he's not you know he's not come straight through a big team he's worked his way up steadily you know first year generally his first year at a new stage isn't brilliant but he hasn't got disheartened he's learned he's improved he's always improved um and I think that that's already you know something to to take an example from and then his you know his career his France career has basically been defined by him not being Benzema. Arguably, his Arsenal career has been defined by him not being Ori. Um, and all of these things are sort of used as a criticism, um, which I don't think is fair because it's not like he's ever pretended that he's those other players. Um, you know, at Chelsea, he was basically dumped into the reserves by Lampard, almost left the club forced his way back in top scorer as they won the Europa League um, scores a quadruple and, and important goals in the Champions League campaign and even got dropped halfway through that campaign um, goes to Milan scores uh, 11 goals as they win Serie A um, you know I read something yesterday saying the only thing really missing is scoring against big international teams in a big tournament he scores against Germany he scores against Spain he scores against big teams okay not at a big tournament in you know he is a player for the big occasion in club football he scored in finals he sets up FA Cup winning goals um, he scores in um, Milan derbies he scores against Napoli I don't know what more the guy can do to not be adored by everyone and uh last night again as you said they're sort of both of them were relatively run-of-the-mill goals but that's what he's there to do as a center forward and not only does he do that he does his defensive shift not only does he do that he acts as a pivot there was one beautiful one where an Mbappe flick did come off it went to Giroud who flicked it back to him and it almost was a fantastic goal there was a scissor kick that didn't go that far wide He's uh, people sort of laugh about him and say, you know, you look at his sort of top 10 career goals or whatever, and you'd think this was for Ronaldinho. At some point, stop laughing at it. If he scores that many brilliant goals, they're not, it's not a coincidence. The guy has got skills. Mm. Um, and I just, it's very, I just find it hard to criticize either his uh, attitude or what he does on the pitch. Like I said, he's never pretended to be. Ronaldinho or Benzema but what he does he does very well you know I was sort of 20 minutes into the match he'd had three touches and I was thinking god Lekip are gonna have a field day marking him down but the fact is he's not gonna drop deep win the ball and then beat four players he needs the service but generally when he gets the service he does something very good with it and you know people criticize the fact that you didn't score at all in the last world cup have a look at what he did do in the World Cup. Have a look at how many goals he was involved in. You know, he was dropped again for the first match. He came on, kept his mouth shut. I think he set up Griezmann for the penalty. Then he set up Pogba for the winner. The second match, arguably his shot was going in before Mbappe nicked it. Even in the in the semi-final, um, okay, I, I think it was a little bit sort of Givarchesque. I think it was a scuffed shot where maybe he should have done better, but it won the corner that led to the winner. Um you know he's he's always there he's always involved um even Mbappe as we said even if it's maybe for his own sort of selfish 
points that he needs to make has seemed to come to now appreciate him. And for me, it's very reassuring to see Griezmann and Mbappe and Giroud playing together. And again, it's not to criticise Benzema, but I just do feel like there's a better understanding and balance there. I don't think Giroud has got, okay, obviously sort of looks-wise and that kind of thing, but I don't think he's got the ego that that whatever they say, maybe Benzema and Mbappe have together. Now Mbappe is the undisputed star of this team. He can get on with that. He can, you know, let Giroud be his sort of, you know, water carrier in his own way, just like Deschamps was supposedly Zidane's water carrier. And and I think they can work well off each other. Griezmann as well, as we saw four years ago, as we've seen a lot before and after then, and, and as we're already seeing now. Yeah, I mean, sums it up perfectly. He's just, he's just, uh, obviously, I've sort of support club that has a similar situation with the centre forward not scoring goals at the moment. It, of course, yeah, you want your centre forward to score goals, but he he has done that consistently. And like you said in in the last World Cup, his his presence in that team alone is absolutely vital. And to have that record out alone, I mean, obviously, it's almost um, almost bittersweet for me as as an Arsenal fan. It's a shame that Henry will probably lose that record, but can't think of anybody more deserving of having that record. And that just that sort of he's he's so much more than just a target man, isn't he? And, and I, I think, like you said, if there was more of an eager there if he was, you know, a fast, nimble, flashy centre forward. There will be far more far more love than than there is. Um, but hey, as long as, if people continue to underrate him, I'm fine with that. To be fair, <laughs> like if he keeps doing what he's doing. Also, um, a couple more things. I think similarly to Mbappe, I think it's great that he scored those two goals. That firstly, he's equaled the record because even if. And I think I believe him that that's not the priority. It must be sort of a thing at the back of his mind. And secondly, also the fact that we all know he was not due to be the starter. And so, Mm. you know, replacing the Ballon d'Or is not going to be an easy thing because you know you're going to get extra criticism. There's extra eyes on you. So to to score those two goals first first match, hopefully will, will, and especially coming off, the last World Cup with no goals, hopefully that will sort of relax him into into his tournament as well. And just a quick quirk, I haven't looked at the breakdown of all these goals to see how many are competitive, how many are friendlies, that kind of thing. But um, they they got to the record in exactly the same number of matches, but then Ori didn't score for the last eight international matches of his career. Wow, that <laughs> so, is quite... It's quite a random quirk, yeah. But it's I just as I say no words can uh, can really justify just how good he's been, but just a magnificent achievement, and it would be fantastic for him to to break the record in this World Cup. Preferably the winner in the final, of course, would be lovely, but we won't get too you know we won't, we won't jinx it too much. The overall uh, talk about a couple of other individuals um, before we look at the overall sort of performance in itself, but I think Griezmann's gone under the radar big time as well. I as think always. you, as always, you hit the nail on the head. You know his work rate. His he looked fresh, which I think you know is a good thing given his Atletico Madrid situation. He's probably the freshest of the squad, but his his ability to to link the play to drop into not just the eight position but the six and often the what I would call the four, the very deep lying defensive midfield. At one point, he was actually deeper than Rabiot was, which which amused me greatly. But his just his his running. His his ability to stretch the play, his he's 
he's so good at awareness wise where to be um I, I noticed a few times when Mbappe did those runs that were catching the eye the reason he had those spaces to run into was, was because Griezmann had pulled into the space to allow you know that that freedom if you like for Mbappe to run in he's just a he's just a really good little footballer isn't he that that's that's all I can say just such a good performance that went really under the radar I thought yeah, I mean, I posted today, someone posted one of those sort of two-minute compilations of, of all his touches yesterday, and, and he's just, he's all over the place, and I, I still think he's arguably France, France's best midfield uh, defender, let alone midfielder or attacker or whatever. I, I think he's such an intelligent player. I think his, I said before, the not the group stage, but the knockout stage of the last World Cup, I think he was pretty much perfect. Um, I read recently a, a, a long article by um, the Croatia coach basically saying how, how Griezmann killed us that evening and noting how the one time that Croatia have beaten France is the one time that Griezmann didn't start the match. Um, Franck Ayres, the, the last coach, who obviously knows what he's talking about in his analysis today, was saying how fantastic Griezmann was and, and he's a little bit underappreciated. He's so, I mean, even more so now than previously, he's so crucial to to Deschamps because he's playing that deeper role, because he's having to do that, pretty much that dropping back and being the sort of fourth midfielder and having that defensive task on the right-hand side. As you said, allowing Rabiot, who's who's obviously sort of full of form and confidence at the moment, to, to push forward more than maybe he'd be able to if it wasn't such a, a willing worker and, and defender as Griezmann. I think it takes away from his attacking ability as well, but I think he's altruistic enough to do that. Um, as I said, still set up a couple of chances on a plate that Mbappe should have scored. Um, he's by the way only sort of tenish behind Henri and 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 Giroud. So, um, you know, could he could easily, if he was a tiny bit more selfish, be be well up there in terms of goals as well. Mm. Um, I yeah, I just it's it's weird to say about someone who's you know been to Barcelona and got a uh golden boot and golden ball or whatever at Euros and, and finished, I can't remember how high in 2018, um, Ballon d'Or or whatever. But I, I think he's hugely underrated. I, I I think he's definitely one of the best players in the world. I think he's so intelligent. I think he's such a brilliant all-round game. You know, he's even decent in the air for, for a little man. Mm. Um, I think... As as you said the other day, I think he's got quite an infectious personality as well, and yeah. it's just it's so good to see him happy and on on form. And I don't think France can do much without him. No, no, no. I, agree. I think he's so important to the transitional side and the defensive support side. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just thought his his overall performance was was so good, and yeah, I know that these broadcasters don't always have the time to go into it in too much depth, but I just felt that. This sort of Mbappe loving it, etc., was maybe took away from how good he was, and and maybe won't spend much time or not go into detail. But I actually, thought Rabio 
played pretty well after there's a shaky 15, 20 minutes, but I thought he grew into the game and he actually quite impressed me in that uh, second half in particular. But we, we do have to well, talk I about I think this. he's been in really good form for Juventus. And he I has, think yeah. Before, like, despite all the criticism, <clears throat> I don't... Firstly, I think the criticism of his mum is way overblown and pretty out of order. And a lot of when you look at the family background and, and the context of it all. But um, I think that sometimes, obviously, he hasn't done himself many favours off the pitch. But PSG wanted to keep him. They wanted to give him another contract. Juventus wanted to give him another contract. Man United wanted him. Man mm. City had him for a bit. This is clearly a very, very talented footballer. And, you know, he's bided his time for France, partly his fault, partly not. Um, and hopefully he'll continue to take it. Yeah. And sure many as well. I think people haven't made a big fuss about him because you sort of come to expect it now from him. But I thought he did his job very well. And very Frank, I don't know, you know, I, probably not a coincidence that I felt Australia's second half spent most of the match trying to snap his Achilles for some reason. Yeah, yeah they did seem to go out kicking him for some reason, didn't they? Yeah, I thought I did think he was his performance went under the radar as well. Just he's he's a very composed young man, isn't he? Uh, for for the abilities he has. That that centre back partnership though to sort of round off the evening, that that's that's a concern, isn't it? I mean, I don't get me wrong, I don't think either McConnell or Curti did anything particularly wrong. Um Kanati, sorry, but it just I don't know. I just got that there was one moment, I think in the I think it was in the second half where they kind of <clears> almost <throat> ran into each other. Um and for for you know, for two players who played together at Leipzig, that concerned me a bit. I just feel like that that's it, that's got to be an issue moving forward. You know, I, I would assume Deshaun probably looked at this and thought, "There's no point risking Varane in a game where we really should have enough to 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 blow away the opposition at the other end of the pitch." But for the next game, or you know, particularly the Denmark game, you just feel like Varane's going to be really important to to us going deep into this tournament because it's just it just didn't feel right, did it? Do you know what I mean? Even Loris, I felt looked a little bit cat on a hot tin roof a few times because of what was in front of him. Um, I think it sort of goes back to the Pavar thing. And again, like sort of harking back to 2018 when you had Pavar and, and Hernandez, who neither of them had, they'd barely played for France, I think. And, and everyone was like, you know, not who the hell are these two people, but this is pretty scary stuff, you know, having no kind of, you know, it's not 98 where you've got a back four who who can sort of find each other in their sleep or, you know, bring your side trap together in their sleep. It was sort of two completely newbies and it worked out brilliantly. And I'm hoping that somehow that will happen here. I wouldn't be surprised, especially since the other match was a draw and, and France got that win. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Varane doesn't start against Denmark and, and Deschamps sort of tries to give him as long as possible to absolutely be back 100%. He's probably quite spooked by what happened to Benzema. Um, For the two that did play, I just, you know, maybe some of it is the sort of prejudice, if that's the right word, that I took into the match. But I realised who Canate reminds me of. It's Emil Heskey. He seems, (laughs) because he's so big, he keeps looking like he's going to fall over. Mm. It's like like some kind of toy, you know, one of those like, Little weeble, yeah. Um, and I, I just, 
It just doesn't fill me with confidence. And yeah, I mean, he generally did what he did okay, but it was Australia, so it still worries me a little bit. Upa Meccano, I thought, looked a little bit assured and, as you'd expect, did a little bit more with the ball. There are a couple of, of really lovely passes. and and Yeah, distribution was good, yeah. I think it was his his pass to Griezmann for the the one that he laid on a plate for Mbappe in the, at the end of the first half. And there was one lovely pass that broke lines and, and put... Hernandez threw on the on the left at one point as well. Mm. Possibly that was the one that ended with Griezmann having a shot that was cleared off the line. I can't remember. So, yeah, Upamecano, I'm a little bit more comfortable with, and that's what you'd expect. You know, he's played a few more times for France. He he's been playing regularly. He's been re- playing regularly for Bayern Munich, who obviously have very high standards. Um, so I'm a little bit less worried about him. Yeah, still a bit shaky about Canate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We and we saw a couple of substitutions late on as well. Uh, Fafana came on, Kingsley Coman, Jean Kunde, and Marcus Turan came on in the last minute as well. So uh, a very brief bit of rest for some of the players, but rest nevertheless. And up uh, up next for France is indeed that Denmark match on Saturday. I think it's in the evening, if I'm not mistaken, um, or is it the afternoon? I'll check I that. Think in a second. It might be afternoon. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's four o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Um, just <clears> looking <throat> around at the rest of that or the other half of that group, arguably, I think I tweeted at the time, I don't want to jinx it, but it's a good result really for France and the fact that Tunisia and Denmark drew nil-nil. Um, and dare I say it, Tunisia were, were slightly unfortunate to not win that game, I, I felt. Kind of a good result. I know that we've got our concerns over the fact that Denmark-France as a one-off game is concerning full stop anyway. But yeah, it does. I think you said it pre-tournament. It does give France now a little bit of a luxury in that if the Denmark result doesn't go their way, they should still be okay. But Tunisia, yeah, they look pretty organised, didn't they? To be fair, with uh, with Lorient's uh, Talby at the back, I noticed these things. Um, but yeah, what did you make of that nil-nil draw between those two? Yeah, I was I was a little bit surprised that Tunisia showed as much as they did going forward. Mm. And that Denmark maybe didn't quite have the sort of intensity that I thought they would have. No, they didn't look great, did they? Um, I think very sterile. I think I read that. I can't remember how long the coach has been there, but however, however long it is, he's only ever had two draws. So now he's got a third. It's sort of typical that it comes it comes at the World Cup, and and the one thing you'd expect is, I mean, well. The, the bottom line is they don't have a great forward line. They have an excellent midfield, and that's mm. what worries me a little bit against France, but and a well-organised defence. They don't have a great forward line. Um, but I would still have expected them to, to maybe sneak a goal. I think what the really interesting... Also, I, I, Delaney went off. I don't know how serious that Just is. I was going to say, yeah, that's that could be a, a bonus because he did go off. It hasn't been announced how serious yet, but yeah, that could be a good thing in, in a weird way. Yeah, but I mean, arguably the the biggest result in terms of the group so far is Argentina losing. Yeah, well, I was just going to say to you about the rest of the World Cup. We've seen Japan beat Germany today. We saw... South well, no, I'm not, not in terms of that, but in terms of... The next stage. Next round, yeah. Yeah, I, did, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I didn't want to jinx it. But yeah, I do agree with you. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that does, because it essentially means Argentina have to win, well, not have to, but realistically probably have to win both of their remaining games to finish top. Um, so you're, you're prepared to look ahead of who France could get if they were to go through. 
Well, no, I, I mean, I wonder if Denmark would have played with a little bit more urgency mm. had Argentina won. And I know that's projecting a lot. And you've got to sort of make sure you qualify and then worry about the next round. But, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's got to be a factor. Could be Finish a top of the group and then end up having to play Argentina. Mm. I mean, it's not, you know... The last World Cup, France proved that Argentina are beatable. Saudi yeah. Arabia proved that Argentina are beatable. And, and, you know, Argentina started with four, thir- four players over 34. Mm. I assume that Scaloni was thinking, get two wins out of the way and then I can rest them. Now he's mm. probably not going to be able to. So that could work into the hands of whoever plays them next round as well. But, um, yeah, I think it does put a different perspective on things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not willing to commit to, to who's finishing top of what groups yet, but I, I do take your point. Um, and like we say elsewhere, I mean, there has been some some quite bizarre results. We saw England hit six the other day, the Japan, uh, Japanese coming from behind to beat Germany today. The Saudi Arabia result obviously is huge, and Spain put seven past poor old Kayla Navas in, in Gulf Costa Rica tonight. So um, that didn't go well for them. Carlos Soler, ironically, with the seventh of those goals. But uh, yeah, it's been it, it's sort of starting to get underway now. We've we've got another game tonight, but I guess in summing up last night overall from a French perspective, I th- I think it'd be fair to say things to work on. But overall, you can only beat what is in front of you, and I do feel that I don't think Australia were bad. To be fair, I don't feel I, maybe I'm a bit biased here, but like I felt like England blew away a, a pretty poor Iran side. Ecuador beat a very poor Qatar side. Um, the Costa Rica were pretty awful, but I, I didn't feel like Australia were bad. I just felt like they kind of got blown away by that attacking front four of France. But you can only beat what's in front of you, can't you? And, and that will give them confidence, knowing that they've not only won the game but have scored goals, which Deschamps great entertainers. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably all you can want from a first match. That you know they had a little test, they passed that test. Um, they, I guess, sort of showed a little bit of team spirit in order to do that as well. Um, yeah, all four attacking players played their part. Um, the centre-backs didn't have a nightmare and have had another game under their belt. <laughs> um, Pavar's had a game to remember that he's a full-back when he's playing in blue. <laughs> um, another match, you know, the even the midfields, Rabiot's got, I think, about 30 caps now, maybe 28, something like that. That's by far the most of any midfielder, and it's not much. So, you know, another match internationally for him and Chiromeni. So generally positives and, yeah, stuff to work on. But I don't think there's, I think we said it the other day, there's not many teams that sort of look at the finished article in the group stage and yet go on to win it. So yeah, um, it's probably the way you'd want it. Um, yeah, and, it, and it'll be interesting as well to see you know how some of those other groups do shake out because let's say I don't think many people would have seen Japan coming from behind to beat the Germans. Um, you know that Spain side looked pretty good today, but how how bad were the opposition? I guess so that's one to question. We're going to see Belgium tonight. Uh, I think Brazil are is it Brazil tomorrow? I think Brazil play tomorrow. 
so we'll, we'll get a good idea of of who the you know the opposition are in terms of what we've got to come. Our Portugal play tomorrow as well, and uh, and Uruguay. So still some major nations to come. Um, just final thing ahead of the thing that um. I can't remember what I was going to say. Forget it. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. All that went down the wrong way. Goodness me. Um, in, ter- in terms of other teams' performances, was that where you were going to go? Uh, yeah, I think it must have been. I think I was, it was something to do with Saudi Arabia and Japan coming from behind. But I can't. I, yeah, I was going to say that I feel like, you know, I think I sent a tweet yesterday after the Argentina match saying that, you know, playing for a team with Paredes in midfield and a dodgy defence, Messi, at least Messi won't find the transition from club to international too difficult. Um, I mean, funnily enough, France are a little bit like that as well, that, you know, you feel like on their day, their attack could outscore anyone, Mm. but the midfield and defence still leave a bit to be desired still concerning um, yeah and that's sort of where i think someone like griezmann or rabio on form is important to france but there's still a, a mistake or two in that defense as we saw in the euros and as we you know even saw yesterday yeah and you don't really want i mean obviously you want your attack to be out, outscoring the opposition but you don't want them to be outscoring them because the opposition is scoring too many yeah yeah you don't want to be winning five four (laughs) every game do you You want to be you want to be taking the chances and putting games out of sight before team has a chance to get into games would you would you make any changes just sort of final thing ahead of that game with Denmark would you would you make any major changes to the side we assume Teo Hernandez will, will play that game now anything else that you would you would adjust I think I would probably stick with it. Mm. I think it probably, obviously, hopefully at some point Varane to come in for for Canate. But I think apart from that, it probably is what, with what's left after all the injuries, it probably is what Deschamps would want um, his starting lineup to be. Um, so you might as well give them as much chance as possible to to play that way. I don't think they got any bookings either, which is good. I don't think it's been a red card yet this World Cup as well. Um, no, no, there was. I think the opening game had quite a few bookings, but there hasn't been anything red yet. Yeah, two bookings for Australia last night, nothing for France. Sorry, three yeah. bookings for Australia. Um, so I think he, he might as well give everyone the chance to sort of blood themselves and get used to playing with each other as much as possible. Uh, possibly if Denmark had won as well, maybe it would be slightly different, but I feel like maybe the onus has to be more on Denmark to attack and and that kind of plays into the hands of people like Mbappe and Dembele. So now, yeah, had they won, I might have said they might have changed something, but because there's more riding of it for Denmark, I think that would suit this France lineup. Mm, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, etc. And I guess the ideal result is is a France win, and then um, I guess another draw really <laughs> between Australia and Tunisia would be lovely. But yeah, I think, I, think, I, think I can't remember how it works, but I think if France win, they're definitely through. Yes, because um, of goals scored, is it? I think it is. Is it goals scored goes to the aggregate? I think. And maybe. Well, I suppose if they win, Denmark definitely can't catch them, and then maybe it depends what happens in the other match. But yeah, I suppose only. 
if someone won the only the other match, only, only one other would be able to catch them. Yeah, so qualification would be assured. It'd just be about who would finish top of the group. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we will. Um, then we will see. The only snag is that Argentina, I think, play their last match after France do. It would have been yes. nice. It would be the other way around. So France yeah. could throw it. Would be a bonus. Yeah. Although, depending on what happens in the next game, it might not even be something to worry about. Anyway, I guess we will. We will certainly see on that one. But uh, we're in. We're in full swing. Um, so we will aim to uh, put something out after the Denmark game on Saturday. Um, I don't know whether we're going to be able to, to do that on the Sunday or not, because it's not always easy at weekends, but we'll see what we can do. If not, we may be maybe able to do something on the Monday. So we will put together a podcast for that one. Um, but yeah, I guess all we can say really, Jez, at this point is is uh, let's keep everything crossed and, and hope for another positive result. And it would be nice, wouldn't it, just to just to get that win and then put everything behind us to say, right, that's job done. Now we can kind of rest some players in the third game and move forwards from there. So that's how I see it anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, with a quick turnaround with all the injuries, I think if, if France have got a way to, to rest players in the last match, I think that would be great for them. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, look at some of the other results that have happened and, it could be a lot worse. So yeah. the only other thing I would say is that I, I, I think we sort of touched on it the other day, but everyone's saying that, first of all, as usual, there's all the usual Deschamps, Zidane speculation. But everyone's saying, oh, you know, France should be aiming for the semis and anything above that is great and anything below that is a bit of a disappointment. I think you've got to sort of recontextualise it with all the injuries. And, and I don't think this is a... France can sort of, I think because of the depth of their squad, they can weather this number of injuries better than a lot of other squads. But Mm. it means that they're a lot weaker than some of the other teams. So I don't think it would be fair to say that, say, knocking being knocked out in the quarters would be a disappointment considering Mm. what Deschamps having to kind of patch together. To deal with, yeah, 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 agreed. Yeah, the the squad is is ridiculously talented. We all know that. But yeah, I I think like you said, so many key injuries is a worry so um but we'll keep it positive for now we'll we'll hope for a good result on saturday um and in uh, in the meantime i'm going to be cheering on the canadians this evening i think that's my next plan of action so good stuff all right Jess, well we'll catch up again after the denmark game um thank you very much for your time this evening no problem thank you no worries at all and uh, obviously if you are following france and if you are in the blue corner and naturally get behind the lads on Saturday. And let's hope for a positive result. Allez, Le Bleu. And we will speak to you very soon.